The message comes to us this morning from the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Hang on, this is really good. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called to be one body and be thankful let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and abolishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through Him. Hallelujah. This is the blessed word from our Lord. Seated. Have you ever experienced this reality? Actually, it's a rhetorical question because I know you have, that you don't realize that you have keys until you've lost them. And then when you've lost them, all you can think about is what? Keys. You can just think about keys and where your keys may be. Uh, we tend to focus on things we have lost has it ever occurred to you to think about things because you found them? It sounds odd at first, but it isn't. A mother who has lost her little boy and she finally discovers him somewhere in the store, all she can think about is him. Now she may want to spank him or hug him. She's struggling between the two, but he is all that's on her mind. Or a young man who has finally met the girl of his dreams. She's the one he's been waiting for. He wakes up with her on his mind. He goes to bed with her on his mind. 
uh, he, his mind is set on someone he has found. But eventually the new wears off, doesn't it? The mom who is thrilled that she found her baby, uh, her little boy, a week later is screaming at him, trying to get him to get into the bath, and she's not thinking too fondly of him in that moment. Or the young man and the young woman eventually get married, and they discover that one another is nagging, or another is grumpy at inopportune times, and thoughts vacillate between just affection and frustration. Revelation 2 says this can happen to us in Jesus too. That Jesus can become in such a way to us that we forget that we love him. Jesus in Revelation 2, talking to the Ephesian church, gives them a wake-up call. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. Those are great things to be said about a church. Like you're calling out people who are theologically off, you are uh, testing those who call themselves apostles and they're not. You're enduring patiently, but look at this, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent." Let me ask you a question this morning. Do you remember when you first came to faith in Jesus Christ? Or maybe your memory going back to an, to an interaction with, with Jesus is when you had wandered away and you came back. Do you remember that? Today, I would love that you would learn why. And how and what will happen when you seek God? Even though it may have been a while. And I want you to know that, that Jesus longs for you if you've fallen in a sense like the Ephesian church out of love with him to fall back in love with him. That's what he called that church out for. Paul writes, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So what does it mean to seek? He answers it in verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. To seek God is to have a mindset to seek is to set your mind on something or someone or a combination of the two. And so when we talk about seeking, we're talking about a mindset. And the reality is that every person in the room this morning has a mindset. Your mind is set on something or someone or both. Every one of you. It may be something good, 
It may be something not so good. It may be something that is encouraging. It may be something that could wreck your life if your mind doesn't come off of it. But every person in the room has a mindset. So why are we to seek God? We should seek God because we have been raised with Christ. We hear this, but what does it mean? A week ago yesterday, I had the privilege of doing Ishmael Croissant's funeral service. His wife, Shine, is with us this morning. It is the first time I've ever used this passage to do a funeral, Ephesians 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once formerly walked according to the lust of this world. Verse 3 says, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Why in the world do I think the Lord led me to preach that passage? Because Ishmael's wife, Shine, attended this church For quite some time without him, every morning where she's sitting right now, she would come in and faithfully sit there, and she would faithfully worship without her husband. But one day, Ishmael came to church with her. He was in his 70s at that point. He kept attending, but then there was one Sunday morning when we did an invitation, and I was standing right down here, and Down the aisle comes Ishmael, and down the aisle comes Shine with him. And they walk down the aisle, and Ishmael looks at me, and he says, today is the day. And Ishmael surrendered his life to the Lord that morning. After I did his service, one of his pallbearers came up to me. His name is John Sanders, and John walked up to me, and he thanked me for the service. And then he said, Jerry, i got to tell you what happened. I said, what is it, John? He said, well, after Ishmael came to church, we would go to the cabin like we always did. And when we got there that time, all Ishmael could talk about was what God had done in his life at this church. And he, all he could talk about, he said, from then on was God this and God that, and Grace Community Church this, and Grace Community Church that. Why is it that Ishmael could only talk about then because he was dead in Christ and God raised him up to live a brand new life for him? I could talk this morning theologically about your positional uh, sanctification that when you come to faith in Christ, you are in Jesus, and that is an amazing thing, and you're practically being transformed. But what I could also say to you is Ishmael Krasan. He was here, and God did this, and now he's here. That's what God does, amen? It's how he works. It's how he works. So we seek God because we were once dead, And now we have been made alive. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. In order to be raised up, then you had to die first. Like nobody can be raised from the dead unless they're dead. But if your life is hidden with Christ, it means that your well-being depends on Jesus's. 
That's what that means. Your well-being then is all bound up in Jesus. And verse 4 says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. All right, so let's unpack that for a little bit. Here's what this means. When Christ becomes our life, he also becomes our hope. Uh, Verse uh, 27 of chapter 1 of this same letter of Colossians says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, when you come to God by faith in Christ, you begin to experience a brand new life, don't you? There's a change that happens. It begins on the inside. It begins to work its way on the outside. And you get glimpses of glory mixed with glimpses of your own sin, don't you? At times, you are torn, you're conflicted, you're confused. Why? Because God has begun to work on the inside of you, but on the outside of you, there are all kinds of forces. There is the world that wars against you. There are these desires that wage war within you. You seem to be in this massive tug of war, don't you? You know the right thing to do. Paul wrote about this, but you do the wrong thing instead. There is this conflict uh, within us. John knew that. 1 John 3, he writes about it. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You say, Jerry, how do I grow in my walk with the Lord? You seek Jesus. How do you seek Jesus? You hope in him. And as you hope in him, you purify yourself, even as you are already positionally in Christ pure. So hoping in him takes this purity that has been granted to you and you work it out. You see, we have the mind of Christ, but it's not completely like his, is it? We have a new heart, but it's still wrapped in human flesh. One day we will have the body of Christ. Look what Paul wrote to the the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Anybody besides me feel not at home in this world sometimes? Yeah. It's because our citizenship isn't here. It is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. All right, so you may be as fit as fit can be. You may work out incessantly. You may have massive biceps, great triceps. Your chest may be bigger than your stomach. All the wonderful things of life that, 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 that we desire, right? But your body's still lowly. It is. You still forget things, don't you? You still hurt sometimes when you wake up in the morning. You say, oh, but I don't. Oh, give yourself time. You will. It'll come. It will happen to you. But, but one day we're going to get a whole new body. Until then, God is in the business of transforming us, 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, that's not now, that's future, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So let me ask you a question. Just be honest, it's just us in the room. All right, just look around for a minute. You're you're free to look around even though it's church and that seems weird. Yeah, just look around, look around. All right, this is it. This is, this is who's going to heaven with you. Hopefully all of you are. And if you aren't, we want to help you know how, but this is it. All right, this is us. How many of you, besides me, ever feel like in your walk with the Lord, you take one step, two step, three steps forward toward him, and then two back? Anybody with me on that? Yes. Like you, you're like, ah. Oh. Like I was so making progress, I was so getting it right, I was so doing the right thing, and all of a sudden you stumble, don't you? And you're like, ah, why did I stumble all over again? Why did I do that all over again? Here it is, we we long for the glory of Jesus. When Christ comes in to live in us, if you don't seek him, you will be miserable. Please hear me. I want to pause for a moment. This is a moment of truth for somebody or someone or somebody's in the room. You're sitting here this morning. You're in, you're in worship, for which I am grateful. But you are seeking something or someone else with such vigor that you are a miserable man. You are a miserable woman this morning. You are so torn and conflicted on the inside Why? Because if you've ever come to God and Christ has ever come to live in you, you will not be satisfied unless he's your number one. You will not be satisfied unless you seek him above all. Are you? Are you? Why we seek? We were dead, raised to life. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Why wouldn't you? You say, okay, maybe I'm with you on that, but how? The way we seek God in this passage is summed up in two phrases. To put off, also put to death, and to put on. And it's a metaphor for clothes. It's to take off dirty clothes and put on clean ones. When I was in Senegal, Africa, I think the first time, we worked with some Talibay boys. They live on the streets. They are quite young. And they came to a place where we were staying to get showers. And they were so dirty. But what was crazy, and I didn't understand, is that they got their shower, and we had no clean clothes for them. And when I say dirty clothes, I'm just assuming most of you have never seen dirty like that. Like you don't even know the color of the clothes they took off, and they put the dirty clothes right back on. This week, some of you have done that. you've, You've put dirty clothes on a clean heart. 
Uh, You may be thinking, though, if I'm hidden with Christ in God, why do I still struggle with sin? Because of what we've just read, you're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. So let's look at the sins we are to put off. Uh, Paul begins with the more obvious and moves to the less. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. All right, so the more obvious sins, the clothes you take off are sexual immorality, impurity, passion, goes deeper in, evil desire, and deep in, covetousness, which is idolatry. F.F. Bruce, the great commentator, writes that Paul moves from the outward manifestations of sin to the cravings of the heart. Those things are quite obvious to us and to others, but not so obvious. Those things we put off. Sometimes the culture will tell you what you want to do is okay, won't it? All right, this sexual immorality phrase had a technical meaning and a broad meaning in Paul's day. The technical meaning was having sex with prostitutes. And every major city in Paul's day had prostitution and and it was considered okay. It was considered acceptable. The culture said it was fine. Well, our culture today says all kinds of things are fine, doesn't it? Our culture has a message that says, this is okay, and that's okay, and this is okay, and that's okay. And if we follow the cultural message, we will walk around with dirty clothes on. We will live as people of God with dirty, nasty clothes, people he's washed in his blood, cleansed uh, with his blood, washed away our sin. When I have conversations with friends who lean left of me theologically, who for some reason now in our culture today have a certain list of things that are okay, all of a sudden these things are okay. They weren't okay for 2,000 years. They're okay now in 2022 because we're, we've smart. we figured things out evidently. Do you know what I look at them and say? If we're going to follow culture in our not-so-recent history, it was okay in this country to own slaves. And that was a cultural thing. No. Culture doesn't call the shots. Christ does. Now and always. Uh, Paul goes into these attitudinal things. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its evil practices. Put them all away means just get rid of those clothes. In in other words, we must regularly engage in a closet clean out. All right? Regularly engage. You say, how often shall I clean my closet out? Well, as often as you have dirty clothes in it. For most people, that's every day. For most people, every day, you struggle with one of these things, right? This is going kind of deep in, hasn't it? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Uh, This has gone really beneath the surface. 
And don't lie. Don't lie. I have the privilege of counseling folks here at Grace. It's awful when I discover words spoken harshly, husband to wife, wife to husband, tearing one another down. That must be put off. But if you don't put anything on, your repentance is incomplete. Old clothes have to be replaced with new ones. And to put on the new self, first hand, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. But you say, it's so hard. Amen. Amen. I stand before you today saying, it's hard to live the Christian life. Amen. It's hard. Some days it's harder than others, isn't it? I struggle some days more than others against sin. So do you. Let's be real. Let's not pretend living for Jesus isn't easy. And so Paul evidently realized that because in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Paul says, don't lose heart. Don't give up. Your outer self, our bodies, they're wasting away. But our inner self is being renewed day by day. There's a growth happening in here. As this old body gets older and hurts and feels a certain way, there's something that happens on the inside. That you are like good wine. You're better with age. That's what every Christian ought to be. God is at work renewing us, and we join him by putting off and putting on. And when we do, nothing, absolutely no one is absent from it. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Renewal does away with barriers, racial barriers, no Jews, no Greeks, religious barriers, circumcised, uncircumcised, cultural barriers, barbarian, Scythian, and social barriers, slave, free. When God begins to work in you, it does not matter the color of your skin. It does not matter the level of your education. It does not matter how religious or irreligious you are. He's able to work. So what are we to put on? As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. All right, so here we go. I think I could be wrong, but I think these things are toward outsiders. So let's unpack them for a bit. Compassionate hearts. It literally means bowels of compassion for those in need. It's the same word that describes how Jesus looked on someone with compassion. Here it is, folks. At some point in in any given week, you ought to hurt when you see humanity around you. Something ought to go this deep. Kindness. 
What does kindness toward outsiders look like? Jesus said in Luke 6, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Jesus is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And so should we. Humility was considered weak in Paul's day. Notice that it still is today to be heard. We think you need to scream louder. To be heard, rant and rave, threaten violence. If you're an individual or a nation, that's what we think these days. Gentleness, especially when wronged. Patience is gentleness cousin. It's difficult to be patient with people you love, let alone with people you don't. I mean, some of you semi-lost your patience on Highway 70 coming to church this morning. Right, that car in front of you, you wonder why in the world did they go so slow that you feel like they're in reverse? And that's to the outside world. But what about with one another? What are we to put on bearing with one another? Let me give you the theologically astute translation, interpretation of bearing with one another. Putting up with each other. All right? So this is the church. Here we are with all our foibles and faults, with, with all the things. Here we are. And guess what? You hang around us long enough and somebody's going to get on your nerves. Amen? They just will. You're like, I, I don't like to do things the way they do. Uh, yeah. You're just going to have to learn to put up with each other. And I would say to you, and, and, and be careful how you amen this, but if you've been married long enough, at times you just what? Put up with each other? You just do. You just, you just put up with one another. You just realize that there's a, there's a habit or there's a hang-up that just frustrates you. Put up with each other. That's what this phrase means, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So that word binds, when I was doing a Greek study on this passage, I discovered it's the same word for ligaments. I thought it fascinating. So I thought, what do ligaments do? So I text Dylan Saladin, first person who came to mind, and said, what do ligaments do? And so this is from Dylan. If it's wrong, we blame him. He wrote, ligaments connect bone to bone. They provide stability and support, and without them, our bodies wouldn't assemble. For example, the knee has four important ligaments, the ACL, the PCL, the MCL, and the LCL, and provide support at the knee joint and connect the femur to the tibia and the fibula. What Paul is saying is that love is the ligaments that hold the body of Christ together. If there's no love, we're just a bunch of bones, like Ezekiel saw, scattered. In the valley. Above all, put on love. 
put on love. What will we find when we seek God? Look at this. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. You'll find peace and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. When you seek God, you will find peace. Peace. As a matter of fact, the absence of the peace uh, of peace is the first thing that ought to send you to God in prayer. If you sense that, like, where, where's my peace? I've lost this sense of peace. You will find peace, but look at this: you will find friends too. Don't miss that. Teaching and admonishing one another. In all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns. So here we go. Let me ask you a question. Who right now in your life is speaking truth to you? Who's calling out your blind spots? If you decide to do life alone, you put a target on your back for the enemy. And Satan, like a roaring lion, is looking for that lone sheep to devour. Some of you are sitting in here today and your life is crashing down around you because you stubbornly refuse to receive counsel. You have decided, I'll do it my way. Peace is gone. Love has been sucked out. So what we get to do is to put this into practice. Our team is going to come, and we are going to sing songs to one another with thankfulness in your hearts to God. As we do that, if the Spirit is convicting, I'll be here, Adrian will be here, Alan Michael will be here. We would love to pray for you and with you as you in this room full of messed up people come and say I'm messed up and I need help would you pray for me